travellers, welcome to another edition of You Should Have Been There, with me, Mick Webb. And me, Simon Calder. And today we are talking about the subject, Shaw was glad to get out of there alive. Mick. Well, I suppose it's a rather indulgent or even self-indulgent topic for those of us in the uh, richer parts of the world who are able to um, travel, um, enjoy ourselves, have holidays uh, and indeed to um, take possibly unnecessary risks, at the end of which we've got a good story to tell if we manage to um, make it out in one piece. I suppose it has a particular relevance at the moment when you feel that uh, actually going to a supermarket to do some shopping is in itself an extremely risky business. Well, that's what I think anyway. Well, oddly, um, looking across the other side of the world, I've literally just got an email from my friend Tony, who's in Melbourne, who says, our state premier, Daniel Andrews, has just announced that we're in a state of disaster. Now, personally, I think um, a state of disaster in the state of Victoria is um, we, we would probably kill for that because, of course, they've got far fewer cases and sadly deaths from coronavirus than we do. Um, but they've got a, a, a curfew from eight at night till five in the morning. Can't go more than three miles from home and then just for shopping and exercise and certainly no more than an hour a day. Um they're clearly hoping that they will get out of this alive. And he also says that um, Danny Minogue, of course, Kylie's sister, managed to get into Australia without quarantining um, by, um, well, he says, uh, convincing somebody important that she had a medically certified claustrophobia condition. So there we are. Some useful advice uh, from from this morning's um, many, many developments on uh, in, in the uh, increasingly worrying and complicated world of coronavirus. Uh, and in addition to our list of um, dodges, so along with the uh, Dominic Cummings Durham Dodge, the Dublin Dodge, I think we had another Dodge as well, didn't we? What was that? Uh, the... Uh, the Derry Dodge, uh, which is uh, the Derry Dodge, where if you, um, if you need to, um, this was in the uh, back end of June when... Actually, the pubs in Ireland were uh, in the Republic were open, but they weren't in Northern Ireland. You weren't allowed to go into Nor into the Republic unless you started in Northern Ireland. So, therefore, the obvious thing to do was um, uh, get yourself to Derry, London, Derry, and then um, uh, just walk across the border and into the nearest pub, which is um, about uh, uh, about two miles from the border. Actually, inconveniently, <laughs> and of course, I've now remembered the. Uh, famous or infamous Sophia Swerve. Uh, yes, as deployed by Stanley Johnson, the Prime Minister's father, in order to get to Greece without any of that tiresome quarantining business. Well, let's get to the heart of the topic then. Um, what's your most frightening travel experience? Well, I had to reach back actually to a very early age, 17. Uh, I was hitchhiking from um, Swanage in Dorset to uh, uh, actually trying to get back to my home in Crawley. And I got a lift in an Austin 1300 GT. Now, this was basically, um, the, the 1100 was a terrible old car. Um, but if you put a very uh, a bigger engine in it, it could go very fast as well as being very terrible. Um, this was also when before seatbelts were compulsory to be fitted. And so I was in the front seat of a... A1300 GT going down the A31 in the fast lane at 95 miles an hour. I remember seeing it on the clock when it left the road. Now, if you know that part of it, 
um, you'll know there's an awful lot of trees there. Luckily, we didn't go into any of them, um, but that kind of recalibrated my um, uh, joie de vivre, and I just thought that was uh, way, way, way too close, because unfortunately it would have been one of those many, many um, tragic accidents in the uh, in the olden days before road safety was um, properly addressed. Um, just one of the many thousands that year. Uh, it was it was close. I was sure glad to get out of that alive. Go on then. Uh, hitchhiking for you at all? I do agree that hitchhiking, um, uh, while a wonderful way of getting around and meeting people, can actually be uh, extremely frightening. And um, I do remember actually asking a driver to uh, slow down when uh, myself and a friend called Keith Bishop were hitchhiking in the south of France. I can't remember between which two cities. It might have been Toulouse and Carcassonne, but um, uh, it was pre-motorway days, pre-autoroute days, uh, and it was when the main roads in France were all three lanes. They were, um, do you remember, there was, so there was a, it, it, it was a survival of the fittest uh, thing where uh, you had, well, one lane going one way, one lane going the other way, and then a third lane right in the middle, which was the overtaking lane. But unfortunately, the uh, the lane was um, was was open to people coming from both directions, so it really was quite dangerous. And uh, we got a lift in a car, which I think was quite a fast Peugeot, with a chap who looked perfectly normal. He sort of, uh, uh, I said to him, "Are you going to Carcassonne?" And he nodded. He didn't say anything but just nodded and in we got um uh, and it was an open car actually so and we were both in the front so it was a sort of sports Peugeot of some kind and then he set off um down down the central dangerous lane and he didn't budge from it for approximately I don't know how far it is is it a is hundred miles 80 miles something like that and he just drove at top speed straight down the middle of this thing um and he also had a kind of tick. The nod he'd given us when we got in the car was actually something that he did approximately every 30 seconds. So he had this kind of this sort of weird tick. So after about 10 minutes, I said to Keith, Christ, Keith, are we going to get out of here alive? And he said, no, say something to him because I was supposed to be the French speaker. So I said, um, excusez-moi, monsieur, could you go a little more lentement? And all that he did was just Twitch, twitch, didn't say a word and put his foot down even further if that was possible. Um, anyway, we did get out of there alive, but it was it was quite scary. Uh, it sounds absolutely terrible. Um, and of course, well, they, they you, you are when you're hitchhiking, you are putting yourself in peril. I was um, hitching with my friend Chris across America and it had been quite tough because, of course, the assumption is in America that either the hitchhiker or the driver is an axe murderer and therefore lifts aren't easy. And we were in uh, the backwoods of Colorado and this car stopped saying he was going to Sacramento. Unbelievable. We were aiming for San Francisco. So the Californian state capital that sounded absolutely great. Um, but about half, half an hour down the road, he uh, left the road um, due apparently to the amount he, of, of um, bourbon he'd been consuming along the way. Um, we didn't get out immediately. We um, we actually made it to the next town where we, you know, then this was now eight o'clock at night. It was dark. There was no hope of any kind of lift. And then would you believe the green tortoise 
drew to a halt. This is the um, uh, fantastic alternative to Greyhound, and it's a bus where they strip all the seats out, put mattresses in, uh, put about 20 people on it, and drive across America. And they said, well, we're going to San Francisco eventually. It's going to cost you $100 each, um, but you're welcome to join us. And it turned into this wonderful mobile adventure um, calling in at um, Las Vegas in the canyons of um, Utah, Hollywood, and all the way up finally to um, to San Francisco. So, yes, um, Shaw was glad to get out of there alive and onto the um, onto the green tortoise. Well, that's very good because that's a sort of version of out of the frying pan into the uh, something nice, isn't it? In, into the bus, yes. Now, look, um, hitchhiking, of course, is not something that most people these days do, um, probably very wisely. So what about other forms of transport? Your bus presumably was kind of okay was it i mean i can recall a very frightening journey that you and i took on a bus in peru i think it was a bus that we got from a town called Quillabamba, uh somewhere in the peruvian andes after we'd done the inca trail and then we were going to go back to cusco which is the sort of jumping off point for inca trail and many other uh, great adventures in peru but to do that we had to go over this um incredibly high pass called the abra de malaga uh, and we went to the bus station early in order to choose what we thought would probably be the least dangerous bus do you, do you remember that uh, yes, and um, I've just, uh, thanks to the wonders of the 20th, 21st century, I can tell you that uh, the Abra Malaga um, actually reaches um, 3,256 metres, so that's um, uh, getting on for 11,000 feet. Oh, oh, it's not nearly as high as I thought. Well, that's, that's high enough, high enough, I think. And, and obviously no, no protection or anything from, from uh, plunging over one of the many twists and turns down, down the side of the mountain. Well, we were forewarned. Uh, so we, I do remember looking at the four or five buses uh, who were competing for our custom and actually looking at their tyres. Now, that was clever except it wasn't quite clever enough because what we should have also done was check their spare tires because i don't know if you remember how it went but um we got on the bus uh we left late but that was all right there was a lot of music and jollity the bus was absolutely rammed and then just before we got to the abra de malaga when the sort of sheer sides became steeper and steeper and you actually couldn't even see the bottom of the uh, the gorge down beside you uh, we had a puncture and the bus just about managed to sort of find a bit of uh, roadside verge as it were to mend the puncture and there wasn't a spare tire and i remember we were there for ages while the bus crew who were of course extremely relaxed about the whole thing and there were quite a lot of them they got an old inner tube which they got with them which had obviously come from a previous puncture and a pair of serious scissors cut bits off it and then mended the thing that our lives were uh, was actually um, riding on as it were uh, in a way that i really wouldn't even have done with my bicycle and then after ages and ages and and um, we've been passed as well by loads of other buses uh the the competing buses whose drivers all tooted their horns and waved and mockingly at us as, as we stood there by the side of the road and i remember um really being um absolutely terrified on the way 
up to the Abra and then down again, which took quite a few hours around the hairpin bends. Yes, and of course then dropped us off in Cusco uh, late, late, late at night, which is um, something you should never do uh, when arriving in a big uh, Latin American city. You always want to be there in daylight. But we did get out of there alive, and it's extraordinary how all of this is pointing towards Latin America. What is it? I know it's a region of the world that we've um, travelled to a lot, um, individually and uh, uh, together. I mean, I can recall my most frightening aeroplane experience, which um, I undertook with an old colleague who you will remember, a great uh, journalist of Latin American matters called Hugh O'Shaughnessy. And in fact, I was so glad to get out alive uh, from this particular experience that um, I wrote it down. I'm looking forward to hearing it and possibly heckling. <laughs> Early in 1987, I took a flight from Miami, Florida to Bogota, the capital of Colombia. With me was a journalist called Hugh O'Shaughnessy, an old Latin America hand. And we were on our way to make a radio program about a campaigning Colombian journalist called Patricia Lara, whose fearless investigations had made her very unpopular with the United States government, and more worryingly for her, with the right-wing death squads operating in her own country. As we boarded the plane at Miami, an old Boeing 727, that's one of those with three engines, operated by an airline with the apparently friendly name of SAM, S-A-M, but actually an acronym for the airline enterprise of uh, Medellin, Hugh drew my attention to the plane's seats. Notice anything odd, he asked. They're all different colours. And they were. Some red, some green, some blue. We wondered why this might be. And being from South London, I jumped to the conclusion that we were in the aeronautical equivalent of a cut-and-shut car, where parts of vehicles that have been written off in accidents are welded together to make a single, apparently undamaged car, but which is in reality a death trap. That was a cheery start to the journey. If I may just interrupt, Mick, um, I have travelled, I think, probably on that very same Boeing 727. And what caught my attention wasn't the different colour of the seats inside, but the fact that um, it had recently um, been done during very, very long service for um, a well-known airline, at least in those days, called Dan Air, um, from who were based at Gatwick. And normally, of course, planes change hands all the time. You can have a plane passing through 10 different owners. Normally, um, the receiving airline will put its own logo on. But when I travelled on it, indeed, from San Andres, um, I was surprised to see that it um, they, they they put um, Sam on the uh, main part of the, the, uh, of the fuselage, but the tail still promised it was Dan Air London. I don't suppose anybody else was um, worried about it, but I just thought, well, hang on, Dan Air, um, if it it wasn't good enough for them, well. (laughs) That's a proper cut and shut, a Dan and Sam plane. Anyway, I'll continue. Um, Our flight from Miami to uh, Bogota involved a stop en route at the Caribbean island of San Andres, 
which is much closer to Nicaragua than it is to Colombia. But this hasn't stopped it from becoming a very popular holiday destination for Colombians who come here not just to enjoy the golden beaches, but also for the duty-free goods. And so, what had been a calm and sparsely populated aeroplane was suddenly invaded by noisy, jolly holiday makers in brightly coloured shirts and tops and shorts, and also by their newly acquired stereos, microwaves, fridges, even a washing machine. And incredibly, these seemed to count as carry-on baggage. And even if they didn't fit in a locker or on a lap, they went into the aisle which soon looked more like something from a Comet warehouse than a commercial airliner. Well, I must uh, interrupt there again, because San Andres I know well, um, because it was the corner of the Caribbean that was the destination for the most misconceived new package holiday destination, certainly of the 1990s, possibly ever. Um, You'll be aware that um, holiday companies have always uh, strived to find new and exciting locations to send people. Often they should work. So Gambia, on the west coast of Africa, not a natural choice, but that seems to have worked very well. And so in 1993, um, a company called Enterprise uh, decided, right, we want to send people to the Caribbean. We'd love to take them to Barbados, to Antigua, to St. Lucie, but they're way too expensive. And they discovered San Andres, a tranquil paradise, promised the brochure, a magic place that time has forgotten. And furthermore, your all-inclusive holiday was so all-inclusive that even unlimited cigarettes were provided. Um, now... <laughs> It didn't um, didn't go particularly well. The, the uh, list of infections um, amounted to nine notifiable diseases, um, and these were all picked up on San Andres. Um, it, so starting from cholera, which is bad enough, to Vibrio parahematicus, um, which um, you really don't want to get, uh, and it, it is not unfortunately uh, an exciting and up and coming destination. Um, having said that. Uh, San Andres is a beautiful place. It is completely different from anywhere else. You've got uh, uh, this um, great slab of rock which which towers over the main town, which is called El Cliff, uh, the the cliff. Um, You've got down the bottom a big pond um, where where they've got actually some crocodiles and the blowhole, which is one of those lovely um, uh, natural phenomena where you swig your aguila beer while um, occasionally being drenched and um, of course it being uh, Colombia you've got this constant slightly ramshackle air and a a faint hint of um, impending catastrophe which takes us back to your situation on the plane surrounded by white goods. How on earth are we going to get off the ground? I asked Hugh who just shrugged. Having travelled all over Latin America, he had seen it all before. The runway at San Andres ends where the ocean begins. And for what seemed a very, very, very long time, we skimmed the wave tops like an old-fashioned float plane, except we didn't have any floats, before starting a laboured climb. Unfortunately, the fun was far from over, and as night fell, it brought with it a ferocious tropical storm. Lightning zigzagged across the sky and we were tossed about like a kayak in an Olympic slalom event. 
Hugh and I had to abandon our customary game of travel. Scrabble after an E leapt off the board and disappeared under a seat in the next row. A huge cardboard box containing a TV set skidded dangerously down the aisle. Suddenly, there was a ding-dong and an announcement from our Capitan, which was greeted with groans by all the passengers. Due to the thunderstorms, he said, we are diverting to the airport at Medellin. Medellin, the centre of the notorious Escobar drug cartel, itself ringed by dangerous mountains, and more than 400 kilometres from the capital city, where Hugh and I needed to be the next morning. As we discussed our options, taxi maybe, ruinously expensive, postponing the next day's interviews, difficult to do at this time of night, just go with the flow, probably the best thing in the circumstances, there was another ding-dong, and our capitan told us to prepare for landing, not at Medellin, but at Bogotá's El Dorado Airport. What? Eh? Everyone cheered, and didn't seem at all perturbed by the previous confusion. Well, we got here safely, hadn't we? Desperate to get out, I hurdled the white goods and started down the passenger steps. Alongside me, coming down a separate set of steps from the cockpit, was El Capitan, a large and impressive-looking man in a resplendent uniform. We glanced at one another, and as I mumbled a heartfelt gracias, I'm sure I noticed a couple of faint white lines on his upper lip beneath his nostrils. But maybe it was just a trick of the light. It may well have been indeed. But look, uh, Mick, I've been meeting another captain, um, an entirely uh, uh, substance-free gentleman. His name is Martin Gear, And actually, he's not a captain, but he emulates one at his pub, which is in a location well known to you, Simnel Street in Southampton. And the pub previously known as the Endeavour, now known as the Titanic. Titanic is named Titanic because it's a crew bar for Titanic, but it was originally built as the Queen on, in 1887, as it was the 40th anniversary of Queen Victoria. OK, and at the moment you've got one beautiful, big, long bar. Um, you've got a picture of the Titanic steaming away happily at one end. Um, you've got a lot of memorabilia here. Uh, why would um, why would people want to drink in a place which is associated with, sadly, disaster? It's not necessarily all disaster, because uh, if it wasn't for Titanic, the safety measures wouldn't have changed in all other shipping. So Titanic may have been a disaster, but from then on, shipping was safer. And what sort of questions do you get asked by people who come in here? Ah, the Americans. Were you on the Titanic? And I say, yes, I was. I was a cabin boy, so I was allowed in a lifeboat because I was under 16, and they believe it. Was that a fact at all? Of course not. Oh, OK. <laughs> they, believe, they believe the ship sank when the film came out. Ah, OK. Um, and, and you are actually Leonardo DiCaprio only... Um... No, 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 I'm a knight to remember. Right. <laughs> oh, sorry, do say that again. Yes, and uh, can I ask who you are? I'm Michelle. Michelle, okay, Michelle. So I'm Um, a regular here. You're you're a regular here, okay, fantastic. Um, Why would you come in here, particularly? It's the friendliest bar in Southampton. Right. Normally we have seats around the bar, so it's a great shame it's not like that at the moment because we all talk to each other. I moved here by myself and I've got to meet all my friends here. Okay. And Martin's a great landlord, of course. 
Okay, well, he's, he's <laughs> oh, seems, 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 seems all right so far. Um, <laughs> and it's a, a beautiful summer's evening here in Southampton, but we are in a place which is just as associated with, well, just the most awful maritime disaster. But Does that worry you at all? Not at all. It gives us some lovely history. Although it was a sad, sad event, obviously, but it's given us wonderful maritime history. And Southampton's just full of history. The lovely, friendly people. And I guess maritime history is, by its very nature, rather prone to tragedy. It's sure. It sure is, yeah. It's both. But it's lovely to wake up and see the cruise ships sometimes. That's one of the reasons I moved here. It's lovely. Although the cruise ships are looking a bit sad, aren't they? Yeah, Queen Mary's in at the moment. She, she Bottom said of my garden almost. Or something. <laughs> yeah, she came in very early. Bottom of your garden? Yeah. At the bottom of my garden is just um, Dockyard 6's right there. Is it called Dock Cape? That's it, yeah. It's and not the bottom of my garden, it's a communal garden to my building, but if you walk to the end of it, Queen Mary's right there. OK, isn't that a bit <laughs> annoying if, you know, there you are, enjoying your garden, then suddenly 6,000 people Oh, I can... love it. Well, yeah. nobody's coming off it at the moment. No. OK. <laughs> just well. a staff on there. Oh, well, and, and what, does, what does the story of the Titanic mean for you? Um, again, just history. Um, it's a sad story, obviously, but it's always remembered, like any good story. Mm. Thank you very Apart much. From so the tragedy, nice. of course. But that's very part nice of the story. to talk to you, Michelle. Thank um, you. Thank you. Um, so, one final question. Yeah, of course. Um, have you ever been in a situation where you thought, um, "Crikey, I'm glad I got out of that alive"? No. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Not so far. <laughs> well, how very, very nice. And so you've got a bit of time. I mean, the reason this was changed to the Titanic, this pub, was because the descendants of the crew who drink in here on the 100th anniversary suggested that it was about time after 100 years that we changed the name. So it's only eight years that it goes back, yeah? And it goes back to the 100th anniversary, yes. Right, I see, I see. And there you are, and you've got the uh, New York Times front page. That's right. Titanic. I mean, I had a great uncle on the Titanic. It was a boiler stoker. But it never entered my head to change the pub name to the Titanic. It was the customers who wanted it changed. Right. And it did seem appropriate after 100 years. Yes. Um, Here we are. Um, Titanic sinks four hours after hitting iceberg. 866 rescued by Carpathia. They got out of it alive. Probably uh, 1,250 perish. I suppose that rather reinforces uh, the idea that Uh, Obviously, you are very glad if you can get out of somewhere alive, but um, also um, you are then alive to tell the tale, which is in itself a rather enjoyable thing. Yes, and embellish the tale. I was delighted to get out of the Titanic, the pub, not the uh, ship, alive and in possession of a couple of good stories and photographs and thanks for those we'll put one of them on the um, on the website um, anchor.fm slash you should have been there or one word and do send us your stories on the theme of sure was glad to get out of there alive i'm sure you've got plenty and you've probably also got plenty of travel sayings um so travelers of course should take only photographs leave only footprints Each journey begins with a single step. Yes, next week we are going to be looking at travel sayings. Um, The sententious, the pretentious and perhaps the meaningful. Have you got any, Mick? Well, I suppose one you hear um, quite a lot is every day is a journey. 
Thank you for that, Mick. And so until next week, well, let me bid you the opportunity to love many, trust few, always paddle your own canoe, but not near any icebergs. From me, Simon Calder. And me, Mick Webb. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.